ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Fresh Frozen Southerner podcast. My name is Jay. Two things real quick before we get into the show. Uh, the first is a quick weather update. It is still cold. The second thing is I've said before that I'm just starting into podcasting. I have zero broadcast experience, and I'm really learning a lot of things as I go. Uh, to that end, I would appreciate it if you guys could send me a message and give me a little bit of constructive criticism. Uh, I have an email address. It is freshfrozensoutherner at gmail.com. If there's anything I do that you find annoying and you'd like me to stop doing it, and I can see the comments now, yeah, talking, stop talking. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed, I have a habit when I pause and then start talking again, I will open my mouth very abruptly and it makes a noise. And I found out when I started practicing to do this podcast that this microphone picks that up extremely well. Uh, a lot of my editing is taking those out. I'm working on getting out of the habit of that. Uh, but if there's anything like that that I'm doing that you think I should clean up, uh, please shoot me an email and let me know. Any any suggestions will receive serious consideration, and I would certainly appreciate the time. Okay, now I said that I did not want this to be an overly political show, but we really need to talk about the election. Uh, and this is something that I personally take very seriously. Voting is one of the very few responsibilities that we actually are expected to take care of in this country in this day and age. Most people really don't give a damn about it. But it's something that we really need to focus on, uh, given the ridiculousness of the past few months. I'm a little bit older. I'm in my mid-40s. But those of you that are about the same age as me, I want you to think back to before the Soviet Union collapsed. They would always have elections. How did you feel about that election process? Did you ever actually expect that the Russian premier would get voted out of office? Now, it did happen from time to time, but I always attributed that more to the premier had fallen out of favor with the other members of the Politburo more than the citizens saying they'd had enough. Or Muammar Gaddafi in Libya, he always had elections, and what a surprise. He would always win with like 98% of the vote. Seemed the people there really loved him. Um, of course, it could have had something to do with the fact that if you voted against him, you would disappear. But, hey, I'm not Libyan. Who am I to judge? North Korea holds elections. A single party wins every government seat in North, Car uh, North Carolina, North Korea. Not most of the seats, all of the seats. The point I'm trying to make is that if your elections look like a joke, then your government becomes a joke to the rest of the world. Our elections have gotten slowly worse and worse in my lifetime. And that brings me back to the shit show that we all just witnessed. Does anyone out there feel good about the lead up to the election? The name calling, the vitriol, and not just the candidates, but your friends on Facebook anytime you dared to make an opinion known. Do you feel good that the media picked a side and ran propaganda for one candidate or the other 24-7? Have you enjoyed the dumpster fire that started on election night and is still burning? Uh, we'll probably be into the summer before all this dies down. We have allowed the people in charge of our elections to turn us into a laughingstock. 
the world sees what goes on over here, and I'm sure every country on the planet is laughing at us right now. Um, I am a registered independent. Um, I do generally vote conservatively. Um, I feel very strongly about limited government. Uh, the Republicans pretend to care about that. I'm not under any delusion about how much they actually support it because we're talking about their jobs. But the majority of Americans do not align strongly with the left or the right. Now, the numbers fluctuate depending on what's going on, but it's about 30% are registered Republicans and about 30% are registered Democrats. And that means 40% of us are in the middle. We're the majority, but we're not in charge of anything. Uh, on behalf of the majority of Americans who are in the middle, I would like to say that I have had an assful of you knuckleheads on the extremes, making us all look like complete idiots to the rest of the world. I don't understand how anyone cannot see that these politicians are just opposite sides of the same coin. Yes, they stand in the Senate chambers or the House and they fight each other. They hold press conferences and they attack the other side. And when they turn the lights out at Congress and the cameras are turned off, they all go to the same black tide balls. They all get wined and dined by the same lobbyists. They like us to think that they're at each other's throats. But I have I believed for years that the only difference between Democrats and Republicans at the federal level is what lies they tell and who they tell those lies to. But I have recently noticed a second way to tell them apart. Let me know if you feel this is true or not. Republicans get into office. And they don't do the things that they promise to do. Democrats get into office, and they immediately do the things they promised not to do. But what it really comes down to is it's not the politicians' fault. The politicians are just doing what they do. You and I are to blame for this. We have sat back, and we have let this craziness get worse and worse. We have allowed this garbage to go on because a lot of people don't care. And the rest of us are getting so tired of the bullshit, we don't want to deal with it anymore. Well, unfortunately, the time for us to have that luxury is over. We need to straighten out our election process ASAP. Before the midterms, preferably, I can't imagine it getting done that quickly, but you know, sometimes people surprise me. Our elections have gotten to the point where the losing side does not believe that the elections were fair. How, how many times have you heard this over the last 20 years? He's not my president. He's not my president. Well, unfortunately, they are. What we have to do is get back to where no matter how you feel about the election results, you believe that they were fair, and that is actually what happened. Right now, we've got 70 million people that believe that their vote was stolen. Now, I'm not saying that we should overturn Biden's election, because if you do that, then you've just got the problem going the opposite way. Then you'll have all the Biden people feeling, well, we won that election and our votes got stolen. So we don't need to try to change the past. We need to try to do better in the future. And I'm not just here to piss and moan about it. I come bearing solutions. Now, some of these are hot button issues. I don't understand why um, if you fight against logical solutions to something, I firmly believe you have an ulterior motive. But let me go over what what I'd like to see happen. I don't have all the little details 
figured out yet, um, but I've got a great start, or at least I think it's a great start. I hope you do too. All right. Number one, the biggest thing in this election was the mail-in voting. I don't want to take mail-in voting away from people. I understand that there are some people that just cannot get out of the house, and it is a big benefit to them. And there's probably a lot of people that just like mail-in voting. It's convenient. I understand that. But just having ballots show up at all different times, we have got to get a better handle on where these are coming from. And again, I don't care if you're a Biden fan and you love the election, or if you're a Trump supporter and you think it got stolen, the way the mail-in voting was handled this go-around looks shady. Here in Pennsylvania, they were saying that anything that came in with a postmark a few days after the election would get counted. And if the postmark was smudged, it couldn't be reading, it would get counted. There's no reason to take votes after the election is over. The only reason I can think of is someone wanting to count votes that come in a week or 10 days after the election is over is because you want to make sure that if you need some extra votes, you can get them in. And again, I'm not making a case for whether or not those votes are fraudulent or legitimate. I'm talking about the appearance of corruption, and we have to get away from that. People have to be able to have confidence that what they're being told by their elected officials is the truth. Now, to clean up the mail-in voting, mail-in votes need to be cut off one month before Election Day. Election Day was on November the 4th this time around. So on October the 4th, if your mail-in ballot gets there after midnight on October the 4th, it will not be counted. This gives election officials a month to try to verify that this is a legitimate vote that came in from a registered voter. Now, I don't understand why we can't do online voting. Uh, would you, When you mention that to somebody, the first words out of their mouth always, well, that can be hacked. Well, if you're going to hack into the voting system, you have to have a lot of computer skill, some equipment, probably a lot of time. If I want to intercept somebody's ballot and fill it out for them, the only thing I need to do is beat them to their mailbox. So how much easier is it to screw with a mail-in ballot versus hacking into a computer system? Everybody loves the mail-in system. They don't want to go to online voting. It doesn't make sense to me in this day and age, but for some reason, people just feel much better about mail-in voting. So like I say, I don't want to get rid of that, but we have got to have a better process to verify the votes. And this is one of the little details that I don't have worked out yet. I'm not sure what form that verification would take, but we have got to do something because I could fill out any number of ballots and mail them in. It doesn't make them valid votes. It just means I had a lot of extra time in a book of stamps. All right, step two, the voter registration rolls are a mess. Most places, once you're registered to vote, it is lifetime. You never have to do it again, and you're supposed to if you move, or like when I moved to a different state. But we have people on there that are dead. We have people on there that have had the misfortune of being convicted of a felony, and they are no longer eligible. If you set that up to where your registration expired after two years and you had to re-register to vote, 
that would clean up all those roles. Every election, we hear about deceased people around the country that somehow managed to vote. Now, that doesn't just magically happen. Somebody walks into a voting place and votes in their name. If the voter registration rolls were getting renewed every couple of years, that would put a stop to that. I agree that's not a huge problem, but there's no reason not to clean up a problem if we know it's there. Now, this next item is the one that starts a lot of fights, but I'm sorry, voter ID should be required. It is not unreasonable and it is not racist to expect someone trying to vote to prove that they are who they claim to be. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say that it is incredibly rare for there to be an individual in this country that legitimately cannot get a state-issued photo ID. And I'm sure that you can come up with examples. I don't want comments saying, well, I know a guy from Who Cares, Oklahoma, and he was born in 1928, and the county clerk's office burned down in 1937, and there's no copies of his birth certificate. I'm sure that exists. There are 350 million people in this country. You can find someone from that big of a pool to draw from that will fit into any category you can think of. I don't care how outlandishly unlikely that category is. Now, if you would like an example of how that large of a population can affect the likelihood of things, there is a very rare condition called the Delphic uterus that a woman can be born with. And basically what this condition is, instead of having a single uterus, the woman is born with two. A lot of times she has multiple cervix as well, and on even rarer occasions, they will have two vaginas. Now, this only affects estimated about 1 in 3,000 women. But at 1 in 3,000, that means that there are about 100,000 women in the U.S. alone that are walking around with a match set instead of the normal single. So even though I understand that there are going to be people that just legitimately can't get a photo ID, that's going to be an extremely rare exception, not the rule. And if the people that are so concerned that this might keep somebody from being able to vote, instead of worrying about their vote, why don't you dedicate your energy to finding pathways for these people to actually get a state-issued ID? Because you can't do anything without a photo ID anymore. You can't buy a plane ticket. You can't rent a car. You can't open a bank account. You can't get into the movies in some cases. Um, it's rare that stores ask for this, but technically you can't make a credit card purchase without a photo ID. So if there's somebody in this country that does not have a driver's license or a photo ID, they are living a very shallow existence. And if you would actually find a way for them to get an ID, that would improve every single day of their life and not just the one day every two years where you need to use them to get a vote. All right. The next step, and this doesn't sound like something that would matter, but the found ballots have got to stop being counted. Now, like I say, that doesn't sound like something that would make a big difference, but this happens a lot more than you think. I actually found many stories about this happening. The Washington state governor's race in 2002, uh, found ballots decided the victor. In Ohio in 2004, they found ballots, and I hope you can hear the air quotes when I say the word found, but they found ballots 
almost two weeks after the election. Now, I didn't get a lot of follow-up on that one, but from what I could tell, those particular ballots in Ohio actually were deemed ineligible to be counted. Uh, but I'm sure everyone remembers Al Franken and his Me Too from a couple of years ago that he actually stepped down from the Senate. Uh, he owes his political career to found ballots. Um, Al Franken lost the election on Election Day, and it was a very close. It was just a few hundred votes. Uh, they did two initial recounts in both of those. Number one, Al Franken lost, uh, but the the split in the voting was as close to 50-50% as you could possibly get. I, again, it was a very close election. But while the recounts were going on and the court cases, by the end of everything being said and done, there had been 1,600 and a few odd ballots that were found and amazingly enough, even though in every other instance where they had votes, it was pretty much just 50-50 right down the middle, somehow or another, all these found ballots were about 70% in Al Franken's favor. Hmm. Nothing fishy at all about that. But basically what we need to do, we need to treat a ballot the way evidence is treated in a criminal case. Uh Law enforcement, investigators, they have to follow what's something that's called chain of possession. And basically what chain of possession is, is when they take evidence in as a criminal case, when that gets to court, they have to be able to show documentation of where that evidence was, who had it, and why for every step along the way from the time it was taken in until the court case came up. And if they cannot document that, it is extremely easy for a defense attorney to get that deemed admissible in court. Why can't we treat ballots the same way? If you had a box of ballots that you took home and stuck in your closet, why should those be counted? First of all, what the hell are you doing taking them home? It's kind of the cliche. You had one job, and if you can't take that box of ballots directly to the election official office, why do you have that job? But basically, I, first of all, I don't believe that anybody takes a box of ballots home and sticks it in their car trunk and forgets about it. I, I'm sorry, but that doesn't happen. That's the story that gets told when the ballots are, oh, look here, we discovered more ballots. And the last thing I want to talk about here is the Electoral College. Now, the Electoral College is not part of the appearance of legitimacy for our elections, uh, but this will address a couple of inequalities that I've seen pop up over the last few years. Now, state electoral votes are based on congressional districts. If your state has 13 congressional districts, you will have 15 electoral votes. You get one electoral vote per congressional district, and then the two state senators each get one as well. Now, each state's electoral votes are all given to the candidate that wins the popular vote in that state. Most elections in most states are decided by very small margins. And I just don't think that it's right that one candidate should get 100% of the electoral votes when they only won the vote by 2%. Now, there's a very simple way to make this a little more equitable. Why can't we simply divvy up the electoral votes based on the congressional districts. If you win that congressional district, you get that electoral vote. 
and then the two votes for the senators can go to whoever wins the popular vote. That way there is still some benefit to winning the popular vote. But I think this will actually do four things. Number one, in a lot of a lot of states, large cities decide the votes. Um, it's not quite so bad here in Pennsylvania. There are a few cities, uh, Philadelphia and Pittsburgh are very different places. But back home in Virginia, if you looked at the map on election night, 90% of Virginia would vote one way. And then Northern Virginia, the area around Washington, D.C., very urban, they would vote another. And the problem with that is that there is enough of a population in Northern Virginia to offset the votes of the rest of the state. And what allocating the electoral votes based on congressional districts will do the higher density population areas will still have more of a say in the election because higher population means that you have more congressional districts. But it will also mean that someone in a rural area on the other side of the state, their vote will still count. It will give more weight to an individual's vote. And if you have a problem with somebody's vote being more important than what it is now, uh, I'm sorry, you're you're not worth arguing with. If you if you have a problem with that, there's something seriously wrong. Something else that this will do is it'll force the politicians to pay attention to rural areas and the flyover states. Uh, again, Western Virginia had a very low population. National candidates never came to my area. I don't remember ever seeing our congressman in our area, much much less a presidential candidate. Now, since I moved to Pennsylvania, uh, there was a lot of, I don't know why they decided Scranton was so important, but both Trump and Biden were here quite a bit. But the Midwest states, those smaller states with the population that they only have five, seven electoral votes, those are treated like throwaway states by these politicians. But if we go to this system for the Electoral College, suddenly those five electoral votes could be very important. It would put more power in the hands of the people. And I can't imagine anybody thinking that is a bad thing. All right, and one other thing we need to change about the Electoral College, this probably will come as a surprise to a lot of you. It certainly did me when I found out about it. The delegates for the Electoral College can vote however they want. They do not have to follow the results of the election. They could vote for themselves for president if they wanted to. Now, I understand, and I'm not thrilled about this idea. I have heard the reason that that was initially established by the Founding Fathers is that while they wanted to create a government that was by the people, they didn't exactly trust farmers and laborers to make the right decision. And from what I've been told, that was put in as sort of a fail-safe if something really outlandish were to happen. Um, I can kind of understand that logic, but that needs to go. We need to make it to where the election results dictate how that delicate votes, period. No discussion. All right, guys, that's about all I've got for you today. Um, I'm sure that there are a lot of people that are going to have issues with some of the things I've said. My message to them is, is if you are against our elections being fair and transparent, and above all, trustworthy, 
that's because you just want to win an election. You don't care how the actual vote goes. Um, that's called fraud, and I'm not going to waste my time arguing with you. There are a lot of those people out there. I like to call these people unreasonable assholes. And if you find yourself in a discussion with one, just walk away. There's nothing you can say that will ever convince them that they're wrong. All right, guys, it, it felt good to get a lot of this stuff off my chest. I had a good time. I certainly hope you enjoyed it. And we will see you in the next one. Have a good day. Thank you very much. <laughs>